Oi, welcome into another exciting episode of Not Allowed to Die, your podcast about mental health, where I, Dan Bagler, social worker and life enthusiast, answer your questions about mental health, and I talk about the dilemmas that I'm seeing in my private practice as a therapist and my work as a school social worker. Alongside me, as always, is Mariska, the three-toothed Batterdale Terrier, and she's a little out of sorts today because it was very rainy day today, and she didn't get to go out as much as she would have liked. You may hear in the background the sump pump um, from my house pushing water out from underneath us, so hopefully that won't be too distracting or annoying. And sadly, Mariska is doing a little bit of pawn maintenance today. I do think many of you have been doing a good job of rating and reviewing the podcast, but we all know that when you rate and review, particularly when you give five stars to the podcast, Mariska's paws feel so much better. So today is also exciting because Superfan and podcast guest Kristen has created a Instagram for the podcast. So you, dear listener, may be able to get to see pictures of Mariska soon, which we will push out. So if that's not enough of a reason to sign up for our Instagram at not allowed to die pod, all one word, all spelled out. There's only like number two in there, just not allowed to die pod um, on Instagram. So you know, I'm getting with the socials. I'm very hip and up to date in all things. And I know that doesn't surprise you. I know that's kind of what what this community expects of me, is to be really with it all the time. So I was just disassembling my aspirational foosball table. I call it aspirational. Sometimes when people say that term, it's like, okay, this is something I hope to acquire one day. Whereas I've had ownership of this foosball table for over 20 years. But I call it aspirational because I've never really gotten much use out of it. It's been a dream of mine since the time I acquired it to someday play with and dominate my children in foosball. But, you know, they're 11 and 7, and they're really just not going to be able to give me any kind of a match for quite some time. So my wife said, we need the space. That foosball table is taking up a lot of space. And so it was disassembled this evening and, you know, moved into a more storagey location. I majored technically in history as an undergraduate student at Illinois Wesleyan, but I spent a great deal of my time playing foosball. And it takes me back to memories with friends and the joy that I felt. Sometimes you knew you were just not going to win. I remember playing foosball in England once, and we came up against this man and woman who <laughs> the guy never stopped watching a soccer game. And my friend, my college friend uh, and I over there just got utterly dominated. And we could tell probably by the second goal that this was not going to go our way. And yet it was still fun. It was still fun trying to push ourselves and to see what we will get. Someone, I'm, I'm going to be doing a speaking engagement soon about suicide awareness. And I was trying to think about what I wanted to talk about. And the challenges that parents face today as they want to help their children. I think one of the biggest challenges we all face is that we want our children to be happy. I would love for my kids to be happy. But really what we should wish for them is accuracy of emotion. Because we're really only supposed to be happy when happy things are occurring. Happiness should be a stimuli response, just like sadness or anger or anxiety. What we should want for our kids is that they are happy when happy things are happening. They are sad when sad things are happening. 
they are appropriately anxious when anxiety-producing things are happening. So that their, their lives, their emotions are able to steer them true and not take them off course. But they're, they're able to be the, the tools that feelings are designed for. I am a big believer in evolutionary biology. And I believe that everything we see, feel, and do is partially a response to our environment, which has either helped our species to survive or to procreate. And so when we ask ourselves, like, gosh, why would we possibly be given anxiety? Well, that one's pretty simple. Maybe the people who were afraid of those rustling leaves also didn't get eaten by the bear. Yeah. Oh, so maybe a little bit of being a little too nervous helped us to survive, helped us to procreate. And so it's all about that balancing act. There's this old, I was told, Chinese proverb about three men who are playing a game. And someone runs up to them and he says, the world is ending, the world is ending. And the first man says, well, if the world is ending, then I'm going to go off to the temple and I'm going to pray. And the second man says, well, if the world is ending, then I'm going to go to the brothel and I'm going to party. And the third man says, if the world is ending, then I will finish the game. I'll tell that story to my clients, my students often. I'll say, what do you think it means? And hey, it sure it means something different to everybody. But what I take from that story is the idea that that guy, that third guy, was already doing exactly what he would have been doing if he found out the world was ending. Today I was working out and I heard in some research somewhere that if you smile when you're uncomfortable, the workout actually feels a little bit easier. So I'm on this elliptical type machine and the music is blaring and you know they're trying to get a few more minutes out of us and I'm smiling like I, like I might have some brain injury. Um, and I'm looking in the mirror because my smile back and I'm laughing at myself because I'm thinking, what must all these other people who are working out here think of me, this smiling loon? But I realized I was there not for just the future fitness that it might grant me. I was there because I want to finish the game. That's where I wanted to be. That that exercising was a celebration that I am at a space right now in my life where my limbs do move pretty freely. And I can do a push-up. I can be on the elliptical. When I tore my Achilles not so long ago, I couldn't do those things. So it goes into one of my other big annoying things I like to plague people with, the idea of have to versus get to. My mother used to always say she had to go visit her sister at the nursing home. I have to go visit Lorraine. And I would tease her and say, no, you get to. Because at some point, Lorraine's not going to be around anymore. And you're not going to have that opportunity. And so for everything that we have to do, recently, there's been a number of students who were trying to come to me to see if there was any way they could get out of running the mile in gym class. Have to run the mile. I say, well, you don't really have to run the mile. I mean, you can walk the mile. They say, well, then they'll make me do it again. Mm, yeah, they'll make you do it again. But if you just walk it again, nothing's going to happen. So at the same time, <laughs> you can. Even if you run for 40 steps, there are so many people who can't do that. So when we can, getting in and celebrating this challenge, recognizing that every problem is an opportunity, even if every solution creates a new set of problems. So how can I come into every... So uh, again, I have all these little inspirational sayings 
put up around my office. Show up, shut up, be available. Do the best you can with what you have and the time you have and the place you are. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Make today the masterpiece of your life. Or give today a chance to be the masterpiece of your life is actually what it says. All these little cliche quotes stolen from Teddy Roosevelt or Winston Churchill or Maya Angelou. Or, and they're great. But I think for myself, I have one, <laughs> one little poster, well, two that are just for me. One says, you are an optimist. And that's there because I'm really not. Um, my general nature is to try to protect myself by being a bit of a pessimist, or as most pessimists would call themselves, a realist. I think to myself, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen here? And if I can be prepared for that, then whatever, I'll, anything else from there is going up. When I was pledging my fraternity, they made us memorize a lot of junk. But one thing they made us memorize was a poem by Charles F. Kettering. Nothing ever built arose to touch the skies, unless some man dreamed that it would, some man believed that it could, and some man willed that it must. Now, obviously that wouldn't have to be a man, but I like that idea. If I'm a pessimist, I'm missing out. I'm missing out on my ceiling of opportunities. And so that sign, when I get discouraged, oh, that kid's never going to go to class. That kid's going to fail this. That client's not, nope, stop. Let's be an optimist. Let's hope. Because again, I would rather be wrong and be hopeful than be right and be a pessimist. But the new sign that I think I might have to put up in my office just for me is I will finish the game. That when I go to work every day, again, if they were to run in, my wife and I were talking to my seven-year-old this morning about September 11th. We were telling the stories of where we were and what we were doing. Because again, this is, uh, they call it now Patriot Day at his school. Uh, I guess they do that probably nationally. And so the Friday before this weekend, they wore red, white, and blue. And I actually got choked up this morning as I was talking to my son. Because I said, on September 12th, I never felt more like an American. I felt like at that moment, the, in spite of race, creed, color, religion, I, I feel for Muslim people who were persecuted after that. But I, again, I think for the most part, the vast majority of Americans finally were able to put aside a whole bunch of differences and they were able to feel a sense of connection. And it was beautiful in the space of that tragedy. And I was telling about the people who were on the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania and how they made the ultimate sacrifice to help protect others. That they knew what they were doing could easily lead to their own deaths, but they were like, we are not going to let this plane be used as an instrument to destroy. They finished the game. They played it all the way to the end. And that's what I want to do every day when I get up. I want to say, like, again, God forbid, they come to my the high school where I work and they say, oh, hey, the blast is coming. You know, whichever it is, we've pissed off the Russians, whatever is happening, and we're, this is it. We've got about an hour and a half. But 
the only place I would rather be is hugging and holding my kids. Other than that, I would hopefully want to be wherever it is that I am. And if I'm finding day after day that I'm not where I need to be, then I need to do something to change that. I was talking with one of my clients today and she was pretty excited because she got a part-time job as a shelver at the library in her town. I used to live in that town. It is a pretty awesome library. And uh, she's done bigger jobs. She has a college degree. But the last job where she worked, it got so stressful that she was really wanting to kill herself every day. So fortunately, we quit that job, or she quit that job. (laughs) I I shouldn't take credit for that. We didn't do anything. She did that. Um, She quit that job, and she lived off of her savings, and she ended up moving in with her boyfriend, and you know, she's, she was making it work, but she needed to get back to a job. So she found, hey, maybe if I start a job that's part-time, that's in an environment that's not going to be too stressful, I can start to build, build back and work on her Etsy store where she makes cool crafts and things like that. So I'm so excited for her, but she's nervous. She's thinking, what if I start to feel that way again? What if I start to get that creeping feeling? of despair, of life not being worth living with the pressure and the stress. So then I will encourage you to quit again and we will get back to a place of safety and comfort and equilibrium and we'll go on. And if just driving for Instacart or whatever else is that, if that's what you can handle and still want to be here and want to be alive, then that's enough. And I don't think that's going to be the case though. I think in her case, working at a library, ironically, well, not ironically, maybe coincidentally, her father was a mathematician. I don't know if he was working for an insurance company or something else like that, but he got burned out on it and he went back and got his graduate degree in library sciences and works from the library industry. He's not a librarian, but he fell in love with it. It just all made sense and it clicked for him. So I don't know if libraries are in, in her blood, but I do think there's a good chance that she may find what I want everyone to be able to find, which is this sense that doing what I'm doing here, I am where I belong. It feels like an instrument in tune. And that doesn't have to come in our workday. That can come when we're parenting, when we're, you know, rubbing the belly of our dog, when we're out in nature. But I I hope everyone can find, again, not happiness, but a sense of fit. And I hope we all keep searching until we're able to find that. And when you find that, for me, connecting. Oh, there's just nothing better than when someone shares their trust with you. To me, that is where I find my fit. When I can sit with a person in their feelings and we're just there together. I feel like floating in warm water. Like it's just, um, it's where I belong. And so I hope for all of you that are listening, you're able to find that. And no matter what you're doing, you have that sense that you would finish the game. And if you don't, keep searching because you can find it. It is out there for all of us. So, It's been a great pleasure chatting with you this evening. Mariska has settled in. We are recording from a new office space in the house and we've moved down to the basement. 
So hopefully it's not too echoey or anything down here. And please check out the new Instagram, Not Allowed to Die Pod. I don't know if it, I think it's on Instagram. I don't think it's like a .com or anything. I'm sorry. I'm actually not super internet savvy, but um, I'm following it. So I think you should too. And I promise if we get up to like 12 followers, I will put a picture of Mariska out there. So you've got that to look forward to. And uh, until we talk again, do whatever it takes to get you through this world. You are just not allowed to die. now for something completely different. Sometimes there are no words. Sometimes we need love, care, support, and affection. We don't want to explain anything. For young people with mental health issues like anxiety, depression, OCD, autism, therapy is often not enough. Pause for Patrick is an organization dedicated to connecting the love of animals to the people who need it the most. We facilitate that connection by assigning the seekers who contact us a wish granter who listens to their story and their needs and helps them acquire an animal or training or documentation so they can have their emotional support animal or ESA in their apartment, dorm, condo, etc. We even have trained therapy dogs and handlers who bring dogs to people who can't have their own. Patrick rarely had the words to express his feelings and his needs, but when he had the love of his dog Cece, he had the strength to persevere. We want to provide every young person who could benefit that kind of love and support. Please check out our website at pauseforpatrick.org. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a need, reach out. If you want to help become a volunteer, fill out the form on our website. If you can donate, great, but please at least spread the word so we can replace the suffering and silence that many people do with the smiles and security that only the love of an animal can bring.